Hi again, everybody, moms and dads, boys and girls. You are in the Chatter Zone, episode number... 109. Take three. Take three. (laughs) We're going to talk to the McAllister brothers, the guests of Brad Markham the Greater, right after we begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember... O most gracious Virgin Virgin Mary, that that never never was it known that that anyone who fled fled to thy protection, protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The name of this episode is Of Prayer and Meditation, brought to you by... Hotworks, yeah, on Holiday Drive. I almost said brought to you by Holiday on Hotworks Drive. <laughs> maybe I need another. Cup well, maybe of they're not. Maybe they're not paying attention, and that would work. Our sponsor is Hotworks, and they are on Holiday Drive. So thanks to our sponsors. Helping to burn off or sweat off all of that holiday. Yes, Hotworks. Extra. Yes. Stuff going out. Stop by and see. Melissa on there. Brad Markham's in the house. Good to see you. Howdy. It's Good been to be a, back. A couple times. We don't see him for months, and then he's here all of the time. Love it. Any Love it. it. The more the merrier. And he's responsible for this great book in the uh, Two Brothers. I shouldn't say, I wouldn't say responsible for the book. I'm responsible for well, Brendan dropping it in my lap and yeah, inviting good. them over. So Anyway, we've got the McAllister brothers in the house. We're going to talk about this book, but uh, before we get started, let's get to know them. Uh, Brendan, you're in the studio. We're going to start with you. Who are you really? What were you before? What did you do and what did you think? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. I think I can answer all of those things pretty briefly. Um, uh, I live in Dubuque here. I've lived in Dubuque for six or seven years. I'm not originally from this part of Iowa. I grew up in western Iowa. Um, I'm an engineer by profession and Really, I suppose I view my uh, uh, my uh, role here in this conversation really in support of my brother. He's kind of the uh, the star of the show, as it were. The instigator. In of, uh, yeah, he is the instigator. Uh, and also his, his wife, I think, was pretty heavily involved in instigating this particular transliteration of the book that we're going to talk about. So um, my role essentially in Dubuque has just been helping to promulgate promulgate the writings of uh, the Venerable and uh, get those to as many people as uh, as we can. Okay, great. So We're, we're going to get into transliteration and trans, translation. I need to know the difference. But first, uh, that was Brendan. Now we're going to uh, let Sean, his brother, introduce himself because Sean was the transliterator of the book. So, Sean, tell us who you are. Yeah, I'm a... Well, Brendan's brother. I also grew up in Western Iowa there. Um, Famous. I definitely have respect for all of you that can handle the cold and the, the wind. I ended up moving south. I just had had enough. So I went south. We lived in southern Indiana for a while, then Alabama, at which point I realized I might have gone too far south. And, uh, and now we live in uh, eastern, like northeastern Oklahoma down here. So, <coughs> yep. Okay, so yes, thank you for having us on. Well, it's good to have you, Brad. You got to go deeper with with Sean on this because uh, about a month ago you uh, handed me this, and this is a beautiful book. It's Colleen. a beautiful book. I've ne- I've rarely seen such a great leather cover, such quality paper. The binding. Uh, it's got a couple its of ribbons. Ribbons, right? And it's over five hundred pages. Beautiful. And. Um, 
Yeah, you well, just I, handed it to me. Yeah, I was going to say just with there's so much in content that we can get to, but I think one of the interesting parts of the story is how Sean and his wife found it, and um, I'll let you lead the way on that, Sean, but I know that you had found a copy from like the 16th century or something like that. So, so before you answer, Sean, we're talking about the book. It's called Of Prayer and Meditation, and it was written by the Venerable Louis of Granada. So that's the book, Of Prayer yes. and Meditation. So, Sean, go ahead and, and uh, answer that about how you found it. Yeah, so I think, uh, well, first off, uh, Venerable Louis of Granada lived in the 16th century. He was very renowned and spoken highly of all of his writings, and especially this one. This was his first book, actually, and most profound. And what it is is, uh, well, originally the one, the 16th century copy I had was 692 pages. Wow. And what it is is meditations for the, the morning for all seven days of the week and then also in the evenings. And then, and that was first published or written and published in Spanish in 1554, I believe it was. Um, and then pretty quickly translated into uh, Italian, I believe, first. And the English was not translated until Richard Hopkins did it in 1582 was the first printing. And the second printing was 1584. And that's the one that I ended up with. Um, so how we ended up with this book, and actually I think first I should mention this book disappeared very quickly. It was spoken of by a whole list of saints in the middle and late 16th mm -hmm. century and into the early 17th century, but then it just disappeared. Um, St. Rosalima said the devil himself came and took it from her, and it simply just disappeared. Um, the head of publishing at Tan Books, who will be publishing and printing and selling this, although I will not receive any financial benefits from that sure, sure. Yeah. record but yeah <laughs> but uh now they will be doing that and the head of publishing there told me that he had looked for the book his whole life and never found it wow we had no idea what the book was yeah tan books has been after this book for a long time because they publish and sell and print a lot of the venerables books venerable of granada uh the one they have i think that's probably his most you know popular is is called a sinner's guide and that's a very good one he wrote i think that was his third second or third or fourth book he wrote that's the one then to answer your question now that's the one my wife had read from tan books uh, a sinner's guide mm -hmm. and in the preface to the sinner's guide tan books in their research mentions this book they mentioned this book of prayer and meditation by Louis, Venerable Louis of Granada. They mentioned the story of the devil himself taking this from St. Rosalima. Um, and then in, in that book, A Sinner's Guide, the Venerable also mentions his original book of prayer and meditation and these meditations. He quotes from himself in it. And so long story short, my wife had no idea that this book was rare she just thought she could go buy it so she went to buy it and tan books didn't have it and then she started googling it and initially i thought it was really interesting because initially nothing came up when she first googled this book i mean nothing like it didn't exist mm -hmm. <laughs> which is interesting because it obviously does exist um and then the more she googled i guess we can i guess we can pretend that you know their their algorithms popped into play maybe they did to some extent but all of a sudden, it did start coming up that, yes, it does exist, and you just can't find it, you can't get it, et cetera. It's been out of print forever. <laughs> um, so what she did then, and actually on a side note, I, sh I shouldn't say forever. 
somebody at the University of Virginia in 1973, which is a really interesting year for this book to first pop up mm-hmm. after 400 years of being lost. In 1973, somebody at the University of Virginia, and I didn't write down his name, he transliterated at least part of this and did publish it. And I assume based on the length, because the length was much shorter, it was like 300 some pages instead of five or 600. I, I never did get a hold of that copy either, actually. That can't be bought either. So I, I assume it was part of, you know, maybe a, a doctorate program or mm-hmm. uh, some kind of language program that he had done this as a project, is what I can only assume, because it never got printed, it never got published. But, anyways, just throwing that out there. 1973 it actually first popped up what do you make um, of that date 19 that year 1973 sean well i mean we started murdering our babies in that year and that's just kind of a down a bad road to go down you know so and that's when this first pops back up wow after centuries wow. centuries of being lost you know the timing um, is interesting especially when you read yeah. these meditations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah, it's a lot of it is. Didn't mean to get yeah, you off track, Sean, but I was trying to uh, pin that that date, that year in your mind. Go ahead. Yeah, so 1973, yeah. it pops up a University of Virginia professor, but you still can't find that version. So, so then what happened? No. Yeah, and I don't know if it was a professor or a student. It was a, a man at the University of. It was published through the University of Virginia. I know that for a fact, but never did find it. Anyways, so long story short, then my wife unable to find this book or order it because it's completely out of print you just simply can't find it um she had actually recently about a year before completed uh saint louis de montfort's total consecration to mary which is another one that in our day and age just absolutely needs to be done by everybody you know it's funny that you bring this up Um, because i was thinking of saint louis de montfort when you're saying that these books are showing up at the right time Mm -hmm. this is exactly what happened with his consecration what was it mid 19th century that he he lived in yes yeah he lived in the 1600s late 1600s i believe and his works were lost and then all of a sudden they show up when they're needed so anyway go on yeah and and the Blessed Mother told him, told St. Louis de Montfort, that that book would be would not be allowed to be read until later. Mm-hmm. Which book now? And uh, yeah, True Devotion to Mary. True Devotion. Okay, all right. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. So my wife had completed that and done the, the devotion, the consecration. She'd done the consecration of the mm-hmm. Blessed Mother. So long story short, upon figuring out that this book either didn't exist or she can't find it and can't have it, period, you know. Uh, she simply asked for it, and I think that's the difference. Wait, 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 wait. She she, she asked who for it? She asked the Blessed Mother for the book. Look at that. <laughs> that's a great wow. idea. Okay. Yeah. All right. She asked the Blessed Mother for the book, and she put in a request, because you got to meet God halfway. So she put in a request with one of these online book finder people that, you know, guarantees that they will find your book and you will never die. Okay. And so she put in a request and then just asked the Blessed Mother for it. And it took two weeks and they did find it. It was in a, she got an email saying, yes, we found your book. It's in this rare bookstore that when we looked it up online, it's attached to a museum in uh, Antwerp, Belgium is where they found it. Wow. So for for a, a price that we called our 10-year anniversary present to ourselves we bought it so we had no idea what we still didn't have any idea what we were getting long story short uh we had no idea what was coming i didn't know anything about middle english actually 
we thought we just bought in this extremely rare book. We expected it to show up. You know, I just figured you buy a, a four or five hundred year old book. You know, I, I thought it would come. You know, it's like two feet wide, three feet tall. You know, <laughs> mm, yeah. inches thick. Like, you know, Gold the pages are made out of Gold like hinges. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like three eighths. You know, yeah, three eighths sheets of plywood. You flip through it. You know, <laughs> no, it wasn't. It came and it showed up, and you can see it online. I guess we can talk about that later, but no, the thing was, you know, six and a half inches tall and four inches wide and like one and a half inches thick. So that's just crazy that back then they were making books, printing them 692 pages and it was like an inch thick or inch okay. and a half or something. Okay, what, thick, what year is this printed now, Sean? Take us. 15, 1584. So the copy you have in your possession is 450 years old? almost correct I, I gave that away too we didn't think it was ours so we gave it to a, <coughs> a monastery so yeah what so, wait 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 so you've wait, got, you, what okay <laughs> you just asked for the book from the blessed mother she gives it to you and, and you gave it away is that right yeah okay. yeah once we realized what it was that we actually had and how rare it was mm-hmm and realized that, like, you know, people have been looking for this book forever and can't find it, can't get it. So after I was done transliterating it, yeah, we gave it. Okay, a that that makes me feel so, better. Okay, so just. It seemed like a better better place. You know, a priest told me, a good priest told me, well, you know, that that belongs in a, in a museum. I said, yeah, that's where I got it from, you know. So, <laughs> now we'll give it to a monastery. Okay. Wow. Wow. So the Blessed Mother comes through, finds a book uh, based on your wife's intercession. You get it here, and what's the next step? You're, you're, and you keep using this phrase, this term, transliteration. You better bring us up to speed there. What, mm-hmm. what is that? Well, yeah, so the book shows up. We have no idea that it's written, obviously, in what's called Middle English. A lot of people are slightly familiar with Old English which is Beowulf. Know, uh, Middle Ages. Yeah, or you see, I don't know if you've ever seen like original monk writings where they're, they're writing. It's English that's almost unreadable. Mm. Old English is almost unreadable. It's, it's, it almost looks like a different language. It's actually not. It is English. But, you know, we're ta- I'm talking like, you know, eight, nine hundreds, the year a thousand. You know, that's old English. And then as English progressed, whatever you want to call it, evolved whatever it developed into what's known as middle english after which the is, norman invasion probably exactly yeah. This is exactly yeah yeah okay. and so it's it is readable there's rules to it once you know the rules you can actually read it somewhat fluently but when you first look at it it looks unreadable mm-hmm. you so, know so we got this book we open it up realize it's in middle english you know and don't know what to do so did blessed louis write was he an english guy did he write in english no or was it, he was he was spanish right? no it was originally in spanish in 1554 the book was published in spanish it was immediately uh translated into italian and it wasn't until 1582 that richard hopkins the original translator translated so there's the answer to the question the difference between translation and transliteration he tra- Richard Hopkins translated it from the original Spanish into English and dedicated it to the hidden church in England. So that's why you see that, that first line in the book. It's his dedication to the covert, which is covert, mm-hmm. uh, English-speaking yeah. church. He's dedicating that to 
the church in England, which at the time, of course, is hidden because of the persecutions going on there. Right. This so he that... translates it into English in 1582. This gets that whole timing thing going through my head again here as you're mm-hmm. talking about that. Mm-hmm. The, the covert church, this thing pops up when the church had to go underground. Does mm-hmm. that sound familiar? Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and this is where, like, and this is just my opinion, but I try to run things logically. It is extremely logical that Richard Hopkins would have prayed very intently that, see, you know, picture the time period he's in. He would have no idea if his translated copies even got to England. You know, hmm. in, in the in the 1500s here, like he would have prayed intently that his work in translating this book would be given to the hidden English speaking church. And because he thought he was living at the end of time, he would have prayed for that. You know, like the first line of the book there, you know, is the nearer we come towards the coming of Antichrist and the end of the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like he thought they were living through the end times then because of the revolution in the church because Mm -hmm. the protestant revolution Mm -hmm. he thought that was a lot of the saints in that time period seemed to have thought that or at least thought it was imminent because of the early church teaching and the formal manifest heresy that had not been seen to that point at least not at such a worldwide level you know Mm -hmm. wow where literally half the church just split off Sean, we're coming up. Uh, we're bumping up against the uh, end of the first segment. We're going to come back. And uh, what what great background here, Colleen. And, and, this uh, is a fascinating story. We'll be back with Raiders of the Lost Book right after these announcements. We're back chatter episode number 109 mm-hmm. episode segment number two that was a joke raiders of the lost <laughs> i book. smiled and, 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 i know it's radio but i smiled yeah that was everyone else was so intense on what sean was saying that they so he said he ordered it offline he didn't have to go and put it on top of you know pull it off of a rock that collapses and yeah. you know stuff gets shot at you and All boulders snakes fly at you just just one qualifying question before colleen picks this up sean so your wife praise to the blessed mother you find a book in belgium antwerp yes antwerp belgium yep is that the only book from that era in existence uh that i am aware of yes i don't i i assume there are others floating around that was the only one that the rare book finder people could find and when you consider you know the head publisher tan saying he'd looked for it his whole life they've always been after it never could find it uh a guy in missouri told me the same thing actually he got a hold of a copy and was thanking me profusely because he said he'd been looking for it actively looking for it for 10 years well tan should hire your wife as a researcher because she found it and she has the yes. blessed mother now i want to go back to something you said in the first segment you said that um Hopkins, who did the translation into English, was praying fervently that the copies would get in the hands of the uh, Catholics in England who were being persecuted in the underground church. So so then this translation did not happen in England. So, Brendan, no. do you know, do you want to speak to that? Are you 
we talked a little bit off air. Yeah, I can kind of comment just in support of my brother's point there from a kind of historical standpoint. Uh, if you actually look at the record of printing at the front of the book uh, and the place of printing in 1582, it was not printed in England. And obviously the reason for that was because the church in England was undergoing the Elizabethan persecutions. So the location of the printing this book and the translation from you know the original Spanish into English in 1582 corresponds from a historical standpoint um, in a pretty interesting fashion with the translation of the Bible into English in the form of the Douay Reims Bible, which I highly recommend, um, in part because it was translated at Douay and Reims, uh, which was the place of the English seminary on the shores of the continent across the channel, where the English uh, seminarians would come to study to become priests and then go back to England. And as I understand it, there were at least 300 priests out of that seminary who were martyred in England after after going through that location, which was at the same time the same place as the translation of the Douay Reims. So all of this work is kind of taking place in the same geographical area in support of the underground church in England and the, the persecuted under Elizabeth. If you're interested in reading a, a biographical sort of um book on on that era there's edmund campion um mm -hmm. written by evelyn waugh i believe who's mm -hmm. a great mm -hmm. uh, great early english well not early early 20th century english writer um novelist and that sort of thing mm -hmm. so it's very well written but as you're saying that i'm thinking of the you know the term jesuitical we've we've heard that and it came came from england because the jesuits at the time were very influential in co the counter-reformation there mm. and they had to hide that they were priests so they were they use it as like a term of deception mm. you're jesuitical because mm. you're you're hiding who you are so maybe some of our listeners are not aware when king henry the eighth broke from the catholic church um not long after that it pretty much became illegal to be catholic in england um for a lot of listeners that maybe don't real know that part of church history but the church the catholic church in england was severely persecuted um, and for that, and that's when they would hide priests in, you know, under priest holes, priest holes under floorboards, um, because if you were a Catholic priest, you would be uh, killed, and if you were hiding them, you would be killed. So a lot the of them, the English martyrs, not mm -hmm. just killed, but hung, drawn, and quartered. Oh my gosh! The most horrible. One of the most horrible ways to die. If you'd like to read a firsthand account of that book, there or of, of that time period, there is a book uh, written by a priest, if I recall correctly, his name is Father John Gerard, who wrote an autobiography entitled The Autobiography of a Hundred Priests. He was uh, one of the Jesuits in England during that time period and was friends with individuals who were martyred. Um, he, I believe he was acquaintances with uh, St. Edmund Campion, but he also was tortured. Um, so we're talking Campion, we're talking St. Thomas More, well, uh, Bishop right. John uh, Fisher. Fisher, Margaret Clitheroe. I don't There's know if people are involved with Seven Sisters. She was hiding priest and she was pregnant. She was found out and she they put a... They put her on a board and a stone under the small of her back, and they just loaded up more stones on her until her back broke and she died. I mean, horrible deaths and that they suffered. So so when Sean was talking in the first segment about how this translator was trying and praying that this this work would get into the hands of the underground church in England, that's the time period we're talking about. I'm sure if you were caught with this book, you would probably be put to death. Because um, it would show that. Is that you were a fair Catholic. statement? 
Uh, certainly yes. as a priest, there were interesting laws in England regarding whether it was permissible, and they changed over the course of time regarding whether it was permissible for laity to, you know, as it were, hold the truths of the faith if they practice them in secret as opposed to publicly, etc. But it essentially, um, you know, to be a Catholic, especially as the persecutions wore on, um, you know, was viewed as, as a traitorous act, you know, to 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 the queen. Um, What's the length of time of this uh, English uh, persecution? How many years? Well, Henry broke in, what, 1531. So starting then, I don't know when it ended. Actually, there's still some laws on the books. But as far as but the I'm heavy, talking about the hanging, the quartering, the... Um, throughout most of well, the... Well, that was going on, I know, up through uh, St. Bellarmine writing his masterpiece. Uh, I don't even know if that's the word for it. It's titled Controversies. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was writing that after the Council of Trent, uh, so later, later 1500s. Um, so the uh, yeah, Protestant the Protestant revolt is dated 1517, Brand. With Luther, yeah. With Luther, the uh, Council of Trent is 1530, 31. Uh, we'll 1540. Uh, 1540. Yeah. What'd you say, Sean? One year. It finished in 1563. 1563. Now, according to Google, um, um, English Catholics, 183 English Catholics were put to death between 1577. That's right when this book was, right? Didn't we say this book was 1582? Okay, mm -hmm. so uh, 183 English Catholics were put to death between 1577 and 1603. And then it says altogether some 600. Hundred Catholics died in the persecutions of the 16th and 17th centuries. Some were executed for offenses as trivial as obtaining a papal license to marry. Wow. So we're talking, what, 25, 6 years mm -hmm. yep. of heavy persecution. Yeah. So no wonder he was praying fervently for this, for this book to get in the hands of the underground church in England. And it's not surprising that it was found in Antwerp, Belgium, because if you look at a map, you know, that's all very geographically close together. Um, so, and then, you know, the other thing is in this book, the meditations, the evening meditations, many of them are preparing for death. So can you imagine you're a Catholic in England at the time of this persecution facing the real possibility that you could face death? Um, and you're reading these meditations. That that would be, that would be a very powerful, powerful book. Well, that's a good way to segue into what some of the meditations are. Um, so maybe we can talk through how the how the book is set up, uh, because I found as a layperson, one of the challenges was with a lot of children at home was trying to find time because the evening meditations are several sections and twenty to thirty pages typically. So what I ended up doing was just doing one section per and then i just do it week after week and only the evening and I, I believe blessed louis says start with the evening meditations until you get get into the um yeah did i read that right you start with mm -hmm. the second half of the book and mm -hmm. then go to the front of the book Is that yeah he, he he recommends his words are people new unto the service of almighty god but unfortunately i mean i started with the evening ones i just seemed logical um yeah and and uh, yeah, he actually says that, Brad, the, you know, to, you know, read one section. You, it's not necessary to do all of it. 
you progress to that. You, you progress to the point of realizing that if actually if you just cut out a little time in the morning, get up half an hour early, you can do the whole morning ones. They're actually they're shorter, you know, and in the evening, you know, instead of whatever cigarettes and coffee after dinner or whatever, I, you know, you can get through it. Yeah, but Sean, yeah, but I, he does I, recommend that. I, yeah. I got to say, Sean, um, Brad gave me the book a month ago and I picked it up. I've taken it to chapel and I pick up, I read a page and I'm unnerved. Yeah, I I am convicted. I I first think of Saint Thomas Aquinas's book, uh, Saint Francis de Sales book, but mm-hmm. this this takes both of those books to um, a higher degree of of conviction. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I, I, yeah, it's very interesting because I various times throughout my life I'll say prayers like God teach me how to pray. You know, I've forgotten how to do it right. I mean, you're doing your rosary and whatever, but not a week after I said that prayer, Brendan shows up and says, "Hey, I got this meditation that my my." Uh, so I started doing it then. But yeah, it is. It's quite convicting and, um, in some ways, very scary when you start reading. So it. is that the legacy of this book? Uh, Sean's wife prays, and the Blessed Mother gets into the book, and you pray for uh, insight and meditation, Brad. And Sean or Brendan shows up with a book at your door. That sounds like. Yeah, the power of prayer mm-hmm. at work here. Mm-hmm. But it's this book again, mm-hmm. Brendan. What's your sense of uh, this book? You've had you've been you've been like Johnny Appleseed putting this book all over uh, three states: Iowa, Illinois, and Wisconsin in the last uh, few months. What's well, what's your sense of it? If it comes to Johnny Appleseed, Sean probably did a better better job of that too. I think he's given away more than I have at this point. Um, but. Uh, the do you book, have any left, Brennan? Sorry I, to interrupt you. Do you have any left? I do, and we should probably, uh, oh, that's okay. something to note, that I have, I think, at least two boxes, which is about 30 books. If you have some listeners that would like a copy of the book, um, then that's something that uh, is certainly, okay. you know, I've hung on to some for that purpose. So. name of the book is Of Prayer and Meditation by the Venerable Louis, Louis, Louis? How did Mama call him? Louis of Granada. And uh, they can give us an email, can't they? Or Absolutely. call us at 563-231-3545. Go ahead, Brendan. Uh, the other way would also, you could go to the website um, of prayerandmeditation.org, uh, and you could uh, put in a request through there, and that'll put you in contact. This is your website? Uh, not mine. The other brother. Sean? Brother again. Sean, yep. you've got a website for the book? Well, once again, the wife did it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, how come yeah. she's not how, how on come, this call? How come she's not on here? Right? Well, <laughs> see, all I did is transliterate it. That's the summary of it all. All I did is transliterate it. Uh, she did the, the printing for it, so we got 500 copies total. Uh, there's, I guess Brendan's got 30 left. I gave away all the 400, and Brendan had bought 100. Those are all gone almost. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a website where it's just the book up there. You can view the da- the daily meditations, morning or evening. And we should actually point out too, only about two thirds of the book is the meditations. Uh, the rest of it's advices for for prayer, for prayer and meditation, how to do it, um, how to meditate on the passion. There's a, a ton of advices and even letters from the original translator. He wrote a nice big long thirty page letter about mm-hmm. how important it is right um so yeah that's all it uh of prayer and meditation all spelled out of prayer and meditation.org um you can even download it there and uh, you know you can print off whatever 
So the the there, uh, uh, text uh, of the book itself is available in some PDF, perhaps? Yeah, it's all the sections are available. You can download the whole thing in a PDF and print it, as well as, actually, the most important point there, you can view, we took pictures of every page of the original uh, 16th century book, and they're all up there, too. So you can actually go and see the see it written in, in Middle English, see how it was transliterated into our language. For those of you that have read it, you'll, I mean, obviously, you know, you know, wow. this was not a translation. Like, I left a lot of these words intentionally, left them precisely how they were, you know. So it's, mm -hmm. it is a slower read. It's not something that you read front to back once, you know. You do the meditations, and, and the language, you know, I, I wanted to avoid fully translating it into what some have called our, our modern Babylonian tongue, you know. So I think that's why it's important to leave it as much as possible, leave it in the in the form that it was originally written in and then translated into English in, simply putting it into a form where we could get some value and benefit from it, you know, where we could read it. I was wondering how long it was going to take to get to Babylon. <laughs> and uh, it was second, yeah. let the minutes say it was 14 minutes in the second segment. I, I'm wondering, <laughs> Colleen just showed me a couple of uh, pictures of the book, the original book that is now back in another monastery is that right when you went through the book i yes. mean what what kind of condition were the pages i mean were there uh uh breadcrumbs or coffee stains or uh you know no it was almost perfect condition which is mm. so interesting uh, to me personally that was i found a lot of things i guess i won't share them all actually the venerable talks in there about the secret benefits that we receive that's in one of the meditations of the days uh, I forget which one now. It's in one of the daily meditations about how we all receive different, uh, he calls them secret benefits directly from Almighty God and how those, I guess, aren't supposed to be shared with everything. But I will share that in going through that, yeah, there was a, wait, where was it? What was your question again? Sorry. With the condition, you what, you know, was it, was it, was it, oh, uh, yeah. it was dog-eared? interesting to me. <laughs> It was interesting because it was so good condition that it had clearly not been used much. But isn't that how Almighty God works? Like, whoever had this book in France, because this was printed in Rouen, France, um, and whoever had that, clearly the book had not been used heavily. And, you know, and I, I'm sure whoever's family that was in, you know, it certainly, well, I have prayed for them. I hope they're in heaven now. And I, I would assume that, you know, at the judgment, they probably wished that they had used that book a little more, but they didn't. And so what happened? It makes its way out of France, probably during the French Revolution, by the way, because a lot of people, Catholics in France, ended up in Belgium at that time, which is probably how it ended up in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and it, it was in very good condition. Yeah. Uh, three, there was three missing pages you'll find in there. There was three missing pages where I had to use the 1582 transliteration or translation the 1582 translation which i found uh, can be found online in okay. pdf form the original nobody had transliterated it yet so uh, so three missing pages but very good condition so yeah. sean can you tell us the difference between translation and transliteration transliteration is just when you take it from one form to another long story short so you're taking it from translating is one language to another transliterate would be precisely this actually from middle english to more modern english or from old english to modern english you know to make it readable 
So you're not changing anything. You're not. You don't have the. You don't have the discretion or the luxury to to determine what the word means as you change it into your language, like you do when you translate something. You're going to take that Spanish word, like Richard Hopkins did, and put an English word in its place. When you transliterate, you simply take the English word that's in a form that you don't recognize and is hard to read, and you put it into ours. That's why you'll find so many original Middle English words in there, because if you if you go too far with transliteration, you end up at translation. So that's why I left words in there. The great example is the word contem with a T. Uh, that, that's a different word. Like uh, Obviously, that's close to condemn with a d mm-hmm. condemn something but it's not the same when you contemn it it's something of you have contempt for it as well as condemning it see what i'm saying it's, it's kind of a it's a different word that we don't have in our modern in our modern english language so that's a word obviously i left in there uh just top of my head the word of instead of off uh in the, one of the in one of the daily right. meditations he's right. talking about the bird casts of her feathers and how we cast of our sins you know well that's different than casting off that's actually slightly different it's more active it's more active when you cast of something than just casting it off sean so, yeah, we're, sean we're going to take a break we're going to come back in the uh, final segment and uh, we're going to get deep into uh, chapters and verse and and the uh, meaning of of uh, what's going on we've got Brendan and Sean McAllister in the house on the Raiders of the Lost Book. Ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to cost you. <laughs> Way too close to Christmas for that. We're back in an um, extremely unique episode of The Chatter here. Has it never been anything like this before, Unlike Colleen. any other Chatter episode, so I hope the people are enjoying it as much as we are here. The it's McAllister brothers are in the house along with Brad Markham and Colleen. This is quite the story. It's quite the story that we've heard in the first two segments, but when we were just on break there, something was mentioned about the family history of the McAllister brothers. Um, well, I should say the McAllister family. So, Brendan, can you give us a little background on, like, were you guys always Catholic? Was there a conversion in there? Tell us a little bit about the faith background of the McAllister family before we get into the book. Yeah, I can certainly do that. And, um, you know, to be honest, it's probably less of a story about uh, the McAllisters um, than it is about ultimately grace. Uh, That's ultimately a story about grace, and it's a story about God. And hopefully it continues throughout, you know, God willing, my life, my brother's life, and and the lives of all the people that we know. Um, But... Uh, Sean and I, of course, are brothers. I am the younger of the two. I'm the fifth in our family. Uh, there are six of us. Sean's the second oldest. He's the oldest son. Um, and our father was the oldest that makes of me nine. One, though, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, our our father. That was a joke. I'm joking. Uh, our our dad. Our dad was the oldest of nine. Um, and each one of those nine kids. I mean, they probably averaged. I don't know five or six kids apiece, basically. So Sean and I are, are blessed to have quite a large extended family. I think we're north of 50 first cousins. Um, wow. Wow. Kind of for reference, I guess, like 
I have, uh, there are six boys, uh, six male first cousins, if you count my, my brother, I guess, and, you know, uh, brothers and cousins, um, within three years of me. So that's been a large part of, you know, certainly my life and my upbringing and, uh, you know, the people that I am close with. So it's something that I'm very blessed with. But one of the things about that, I guess, just the large family aspect and being the fifth in my case is the fact that I wouldn't exist if my parents were not Catholic. And that is an unequivocal fact. Um, I would not be here if my parents did not hold true to the Catholic faith, um, if they didn't believe and read and submit to Himane Vitae and the uh, and the teachings of the church to go back to the consensus of the fathers, um, I wouldn't exist. But that existence ultimately started, or I guess the, the Catholicity of, of my father and, and kind of our family started with the conversion of my grandfather. Um, my grandfather was not born Catholic. Uh, my grandfather was born in the 30s. Uh, his dad died when he was very young. My grandfather uh, dropped out of school in the sixth grade to go to work during the Depression and help support his family. His older brother, the oldest son um, in the family, fought in World War II, and my grandfather fought in Korea. Uh, and it was in Korea that our grandfather um, experienced his uh awakening to catholicity um the first moment of his conversion and i think that was what uh brad was kind of referencing there um that took place uh you know he was probably 18 at the time i think he actually turned 18 in korea during the war um and he was playing poker with a bunch of the other soldiers um they're sitting there uh which it makes sense if you know a little bit about the history of kind of the how the korean war was structured especially after the um after the the kind of trench warfare was implemented along the 38th parallel early in 51 um they were sitting there playing poker and uh, had quite a large pot on the table um i've heard different numbers but probably certainly at least like several weeks or a month's worth of, of pay for somebody in that position and uh a guy walked in and said hey mass starts in 10 minutes and my grandfather's best friend uh, who was a guy by the name of Fuzzy Fink. Fuzzy was a nickname. Um, his buddy stood up and didn't say anything and, and walked out and went to Mass. And so, uh, of course, they did what you do. If you're in that situation, you flip over Fuzzy's hand and he just folded and see what he's got. And Fuzzy was flush um, and walked away from that money on the table to make it a Mass on time. And that was the first time that our grandfather... Uh, kind of went, you know, wow, um, and uh, kind of opened his mind to Catholicism. So after the war, he moved back. He uh, married my grandmother, who's Catholic. He converted, and he had nine children. And um, so I guess it's just an interesting little tidbit of a story. Obviously, there's other pieces to anybody's conversion like that. Um, but it's kind of an interesting story because that one little act by that man, you know, in many ways, uh, I don't know if I'd be here if he hadn't got up from that poker table. So, you and 50 other people. Yeah. 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 Yep. That's and here I thought there was going to be something about a second collection in the story. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite a story. I wow. could see how that would make an impact on somebody. If you've got a couple weeks worth of pay on the table and you obviously have the winning hand that mm -hmm. you would leave it all to go to mass. Yeah. I can see that that would really make an impact on, 
on a young person. Sure would. Yeah, no, I'm sure every time my family tells that story to each other, the uh, the amount of money on the table probably grows at at least the rate of inflation. Um, <laughs> but uh, that story was important enough that my grandfather told it to to my father, who mm-hmm. told it to me. So, um, you know, there's certainly that. Yeah, I remember the truth. first time I heard that was I think we were at a men's conference and. Brendan doing his typical thing where he sits in the corner and quiet, 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 and then he talks and blows everybody away. So. <laughs> Quite a story. Yeah. That's a Quite great a story. story. And then not only all that, but now because of your grandfather's conversion and because of that story you just told us, he converts to Catholicism. You all are raised Catholic. Sean marries a woman who sounds like she's an awesome Catholic, that she's looking for this book of prayer and meditation, and suddenly the world has this... Uh, this um, hidden book um uh, everywhere because it's on the web so that's that's an amazing that's amazing but this book seems to appear at uh, interesting times in history what was the uh, comment was it brendan you would do that or was that sean that talked about it resurfacing <coughs> in history yeah i was that was me sean yeah i was just saying uh it's interesting when i look at the two times in history when this book has been, you know, out there, so to speak, you know, the first during the, you know, at that time period in the, the 16th century, you had the right. Protestant revolution going on, all of that. So formal manifest heresy is what the church is dealing with at a large scale for the first time in history. And now fast forward four or 500 years to our day and age, you know, the book shows up again, right. When we've got, you know, what people would, I guess, generally described as a modernist revolution going on in the church to the point that you know as of a few weeks ago now the transvestites and sodomites are witnesses of baptisms which of course you know you violate the form and the matter of a sacrament and invalidates the whole thing um you know we're seeing formal manifest heresy literally spew forth from from rome from the seat of saint peter for the first time in history you know, let's just call it what it is. And, and we've got, you know, don't, it's not just my words here. I just real quickly, I think I'd like to throw this out. Uh, if you're aware of the hierarchy of the saints, you know, when a saint is made a saint, canonized, they're put into hierarchies, actually. And one of the top, well, obviously, the Blessed Mother's in her own. She's all alone there at the mm-hmm. top. Uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong on this, I think Saint uh, John the Baptist is alone underneath her, I believe. Well, as I, the only one ever to have been born without original sin. That's right. Believe. The t- the right. church teaches. Typically, we celebrate a feast day of a saint on their death day or their martyr day. Um, but in the case of John the Baptist, we celebrate his birth because we see um, at the visitation when he leaps in the womb of Elizabeth, the church has said that that was his sanctification from original sin. So we celebrate his yeah. birth and yeah. his beheading. Yeah. At the call of the Virgin. Yeah. Just kind of throw at that the in voice there. Of the at Virgin. the voice of the Virgin. There is a tradition. Yeah. Anybody else heard that uh, perhaps St. Joseph was born, conceived with original sin, but born without at original sin? At some point sin? between conception and birth was cleansed of original sin. And St. Bonaventure says that St. Joseph is also <laughs> body and soul in heaven. Yeah, St. Bonaventure says that. He yeah. haven't found his bones. Right? I believe his was what... I could be wrong on this, so this is interesting. I thought St. John the Baptist was the only one to be born without original sin. St. Joseph was cleansed of it after birth, is the way I had heard it. Hmm. But I might be wrong on that. Well, now that's I an interesting... That well, for but sure you're be, right about John the we Baptist. Need, we'll have to research that. 
have your wife make yeah. a couple calls. Yeah, have your wife uh, look you know into what? it. I'll tell her to. <laughs> yeah, I'll have her. I'll have her ask about it. We'll get an answer back. But anyways, underneath those two special ones or three, I should say, obviously. Right. Anyways, at the top hierarchy of what us simple laity who aren't experts in the saints, because we're just trying to get there as best we can, and at the highest level of the more common saints is there's only four there's uh at that highest level underneath those special ones we'll call them uh saint francis of assisi um and saint padre pio i believe is in that and there's two others and i forget who because it would surprise you actually you know it's not it's not who you'd think it might be you're, anyways you're not you're not about... you're not teasing us just to get back on another episode are you sean no no, no. I've, my duty in this was very simple: translate, transliterate the book, and begin its promulgation. That was the task given to me, and that's all I'm doing. And then I'm done. And this cell phone, I am looking for. Just today, actually, we got some land up in the hills. I don't even think there's cell phone signal. This phone is going to go away really soon. So yeah, I'm looking. So we're talking Saint Francis anyway. of Assisi and Padre Pio of Pedralicina <laughs> as two of the. Four saints at a um, hierarchy yeah, just below. Uh, on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and but here, you know, when we talk about this book showing up two times in history and formal manifest heresy, you know, here's a couple quotes for you. Saint Padre Pio, before his death, told uh, all the head exorcists in Rome, "Help me out, Brendan, Father Amaroth." Yep. Yeah, remember him, Father Amaroth, the head exorcist in Rome. Saint Padre Pio told him, "Quote unquote." Now, this is in the 60s, 1960s, he's saying this. Quote-unquote, it is Satan who has been introduced into the bosom of the church and within a very short time will come to rule a false church. All right, that's St. Uh, Padre Pio. St. Francis um, gave a famous prophecy. I'll, uh, it's about a page long, so I'll just, I know we're running out of time here, so I'll just read Go ahead. one paragraph here. we got time. Uh, the time is fast approaching in which there will be great trials and afflictions, perplexities and dissensions. Both spiritual and temporal will abound. The charity of many will grow cold, and the malice of the wicked will increase. The devils will have unusual power. The immaculate purity of our order and of others will be so much obscured <clears throat> that there will be very few Christians left who will obey the true sovereign pontiff and the Roman church with loyal hearts and perfect charity. At the time of this tribulation, a man, not canonically elected, not canonically elected, will be raised to the pontificate, who by his cunning will endeavor to draw many into error and death. Then scandals will be multiplied, our order will be divided, many others will be destroyed, because they will consent to err instead of opposing it. There will be such diversity of opinions and schisms among the people and the religious and the clergy that except those days were numbered, according to the words of the gospel, even the elect would be led into error were they not specially guided amid such great confusion by the immense mercy of God. But is that not where we're at? We see formal manifest heresy to the point now, you know, the list goes on and on. And, and you're just, attribute, attribute that quote again. You're saying this is St. Francis of That's Assisi. St. Francis of Assisi. It's a famous prophecy of his, yeah. Mm -hmm. and it was so, given to his order before his death, mm -hmm. yes. And so your point is that this book was kind of disappeared, um, and it's been shown up twice. Um, and at both of those times, the Protestant Revolution and now when the, conf the confusion in the church is just ridiculous. These are the two times that we really need this book. Is that what you're saying? You actually cut out there for a second, but I, I think 
Can you hear me still? We got you, Sean. Okay, yeah, you come out there. I believe I got your point. Yes, that's that, and that's my only point here is this book shows up two times in history. First time, formal manifest heresy, the Protestant Revolution. The devil gets involved with St. Rose of Lima directly, and mm -hmm. it disappears for 500 years. Mm -hmm. And here it is again as we now witness what saints, you know, many, many prophecies have called this. St. Faustina, the eighth of the church, the aping of the church, the facade built around the church, the false church. St. Bellarmine in this time period of Venerable Louis of Granada called it the Church of Antichrist. He specifically talks, and I'm going to throw a little something out there too at this on the side note here. You know, what I did with this book is nothing compared to what, uh, Oh, what's his name? Ryan Grant has done with St. Bellarmine's Controversies. It's titled Controversies. Mm -hmm. You can buy it from uh, Mediatrix Press, I believe. I've been working my way through that. He's translated that from the original Latin. Same, I'm, of course, I skipped right to the part of the Antichrist when I got it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, Spoiler St. Alert. Bellarmine calls it the Church of Antichrist, and he hints, and I've reread it many times because it's so subtle in there, but he hints that antichrist himself will be well he point blank says that antichrist himself is the one to whom it is reserved to cancel he doesn't use the word cancel but to to cancel the mass to get, make it go away forever that's reserved for antichrist according to saint bellarmine it's the false prophet that paves the way for it and he points out in there that because the antichrist will usurp god himself that it's the false prophet. The implication here is that the false prophet will usurp just below that. And I'll leave it at that. But that's the time and period that we're in now. That's what we're facing. We have an obligation. Well, I don't, we don't need to talk about Canon 332 or 188. It's Canon 748 that orders us. And don't forget, Canon law is based on divine law and natural law. That's law that we don't want to show up to our judgment having violated actively at our death. And Canon 748 makes it an obligation, it uses the word obligation, to seek and discern these things, all things appertaining to Almighty God and His Holy Church, unquote. That's Canon 748. And I think we would, you know, we talk about this book as a way we can do better with our prayer and meditation, but it really fundamentally comes down to 748 and uh, our duties to not be silent, to not have unholy submission and false obedience to what many saints have referred to as the aping of the church, the false church. Well, and one of the ways that we really need to um, um, act in this time and pray in this time, we really need to get deeper into prayer. We need to get deeper into meditation. And the book, as you've laid it out, um, has a different meditation for every morning and a different meditation for every evening. So that's beautiful. And like we've said earlier, you don't need to read all the pages of the meditation because it's quite a few uh, pages, but it also has um, how how to pray. Brad had mentioned that in the one segment of, you know, teach me, Lord, uh, how to how to pray. Uh, so in the book, you talk about uh, preparing to pray, about the importance of reading, of meditation, of thanksgiving, of petition. Um, so this book is really not just meditations for the morning and evening. It's really how to help us pray. Well, that on the preparation side of things when i was reading that yeah i actually have it in front of me here he, he has it an italicized the just man at the beginning is an accuser of himself that was really a kind of an eye-opener for me is mm. we don't approach the throne of the almighty god 
uh, without humbling ourselves. So you start by uh, an examination of conscience. Don't even start praying until you've done that. Mm-hmm. And Guys, then, oh, go ahead. You got and then 30 you, seconds. Then you jump into the um, the greatness of God. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the next part of the preparation. And then one other thing before you cut me off here is um, at the petition portion, he doesn't petition for, it doesn't tell you to petition for the big car or the, you know, the house or the petition only for virtue. There we go. Oh, nice. We're, we're out of time, Colleen, on the 109th episode of The Chatter. Sean and Brendan McAllister, brothers, in this new book of prayer and meditation. Uh, Sean, give us an update. Where can we get the uh, book? When's it coming out from TAN, and uh, how do they get a hold of it? Uh, it's currently, well, the best way to get it immediately would be contact you, I think, or go to the oh. website. You can contact me or my wife, and we'll basically shoot you to Brandon because he's got the remaining 30 copies uh, out of 500 have been given away now and, um, and tan books that's all we had and tan books yeah that's that's a done deal that's all signed there it's scheduled to come out in fall of next year and I'm hoping if anybody's listening please send an email or pick up the phone call tan books and tell them you want the book sooner because I've been on them to do it sooner and I think they can mm. and I think they might if enough people ask for it because I don't want to I don't know what's going to be left around for fall of next year but let's get it a little sooner I think okay and if they can't get a hold of Brendan they can always go on the website of prayer and meditation everything spelled out of prayer and meditation dot org um, they can check out the yes. website too so they can see the original 16th century copy you can download the whole thing you can download or view just on your phone it's it's in the mobile app setup or whatever you can see it on your phone you do have to i should say you do have to download the pdfs to get the little footnotes that the translator put on the side of the pages we were unable to get those moved around sean we're we're flat out of time this episode's coming to the end in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen, amen. glory Lord, be to the father and to the, to the son, son and to, to the, the holy, holy spirit Ghost. as, as it, it was in the beginning, beginning is now, now and ever shall be, shall be. World without end. Amen. Tune in again next week. We love you.